The views expressed in our episodes are ours alone and did not represent any other organizations. Our episodes discuss internet crimes against children and cases that involve the exploitation of children and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, we don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody. Hello and welcome back to Catfish Cops. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Brandon Poor, and I'm Tony Godwin, and we are continuing our conversation with extraordinaire child. I don't want to say child abuse extraordinaire because that sounds, <laughs> that sounds cool. wrong. We're sir. talking with a really good friend, Lindsay Dula. <laughs> hello, uh, hello. Thank you for joining us again. Yes, welcome back. Last week's episode was fantastic, and I guess just uh, we're going to do like a just a very quick recap because we. Uh, we did talk for a long time and we, and we covered a few things, but very important things. And so obviously we heard about Lindsay's background and what kind of brings her into this uh, world as an expert. We learned about advocacy centers, what those are, what forensic interviews are. And so we're now going to sort of, now that we have sort of a baseline foundation of what all that is. For oh, and we listeners. went and played the, the replay and you did not say the dot in Catfish Cops. <laughs> I still disagree. <laughs> so it was just subtle. <laughs> subtle. <laughs> Replay done. All right. But no, we, we did talk about advocacy center. We talked about forensic interviews yep. um, in depth. And CPS stuff. CPS CPI stuff. stuff. That's new. I didn't know that changed. Is that a 2020 thing or? Uh, actually, it was before then. It's just was a it? slow rollout because it's been CPS, Child Protective Services, yeah, for forever. so long. Yeah. So no, that is, it is a newer yeah. change. Probably a year or two, year or two. Well, we haven't been in this year much, right? Because right. it's been I mean, who's really been in this year? <laughs> well, that's a good little segue. What's the uh, king of transitions here? What's the what's the take on the pandemic and the quarantine and the lockdown when it comes to child abuse? Like, it it is not our friend, y'all. Yeah. It's not our friend for a couple different reasons. One of which is when we have kids that are now have to be in this place where a majority of the time, at least when you're talking about child sexual abuse, 90% of the time kids are sexually abused, they know their abuser. It's somebody right. that they have a relationship with. And when you're talking about just core foundational dynamics of child sexual abuse, it's about access and opportunity. And so now when we have kids who can't go anywhere, they are, they're trapped in that, number one. Number two, the place, and we talked about this last episode, the place where they sometimes get enough courage to be able to actually talk about what has happened to them and there could be interventions. So they go to school and they can talk about it when they're not going to school. And so in the, in the overall world, unfortunately in child abuse, we are seeing a decrease in the number of child sexual abuse cases being reported. I sadly don't believe that it's because we can't get excited because that doesn't mean it's not happening. Uh, No, not at all. More that they're not coming. It's just going to come with, a significant delay. Yes, there we'll, we'll we'll get them and we'll be able to help and intervene. So we're seeing a decrease in the child sexual abuse cases where we're seeing a significant increase in the child fatalities, child physical abuse cases, domestic violence, interpersonal violence cases, and, and child exploitation. And yeah. and y'all's world because Good guess what kids are doing? They're all in front of their computers all the time yeah. and so now the those those predators that are out there on the internet, unfortunately, yeah. you guys are really, really busy. How are you talking to teachers about how to recognize signs and symptoms of that kind of stuff when they're doing a Zoom or virtual learning environment? We we really talk to them about looking at the environment and if there's opportunities if, if in a safe and appropriate way to be able to really work on continuing to build that relationship that they build in person, please keep doing that. Because again, you may be that that person, that child decides to tell, we need you to keep working in that bent. Uh, I think there's also times, and we've heard this already from teachers, that they'll just see something in the home environment and seeing kind of in the background with kids that that they're very concerned by. Uh, The things that are happening on Zoom meetings, sometimes that unto itself is getting a report made. So Yeah, I can imagine. uh, We've seen, well, and that brings up a whole new, like, there are 
there are circumstances with this situation where laws have not been designed to meet these circumstances. So mm-hmm. we're seeing that. But I just wondered, like, yeah, if a teacher's now teaching virtually, you don't have the one-on-one interpersonal relationships that you would normally to see when this kid who is acting this way normally is now not exactly. This way. And I think we just have kids who are going through a really tough time. It, let, let's, let's take yeah. abuse out of it. Yeah. This is a really tough time where kids who naturally want to be social now can't go to the place where they can be yeah. social. So I think just all of those things layering on top of it, it's a big challenge. And I agree with what Tony said. It's not that it won't come. Those reports eventually oh, yeah. will. Yeah. I, I, it, it's just a matter of when yeah. they're going to come. And what happens between then now and when that does get, yeah. you know, reported, that's the scary part to me is that it, the cycle of abuse could just continue and continue. And, you know, it, this is a difficult time frame for adults, let alone yes. kids like, yeah. you know. So why do, let's talk about why do, why do kids disclose? Like what's that process? We've talked about making outcries or, or disclosure. What's that process? So we, generally speaking, we categorize uh, disclosures as one, that it's a process. It's not an event. That's something that I think a lot of people think, well, kids just disclose. It just happens. And it doesn't tend to be that. Similar to our our last topic in the last episode, it's, it is sometimes a rolling disclosure. But when you're talking about kids who are disclosing, we tend to see it in two buckets. One is a purposeful disclosure. These are children who... It could be a lot of different reasons, but I am choosing to tell somebody this is what's happened to me. Sorry, that that auxiliary noise was me talking with my hands. (laughs) I gesticulate more than a lot of people. In theory, I probably would be Italian, except I'm Irish, so I don't know where it comes from. We did talk about, like, we want to put the video camera on you because Tony and I have podcast faces. (laughs) So we could show you on the podcast and not us, but you would actually gain a whole lot even more information from Lindsay if you saw her because she's making these faces and she's waving her hands around and she's talking, you know. I'm a hand talker too, so normally I have to keep mine. That's what I tend to do. But when you're in it, so I apologize because I, then of course I I hit something that I should not have hit, (laughs) but let's talk about purposeful disclosures. (laughs) So when we're talking about purposeful disclosures, now you have a child who's saying, I want this to stop. Maybe you have a child who's I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this thing that's happened to me. Sometimes they do it in a very protective sense. And it's very, it's, it's very sad. It's also very brave that I've been sexually abused now for years and years. I'll go to my grave. I'm fixing to graduate from high school. I'll just, nobody will ever know about it. But then I see the perpetrator going into my younger siblings room. Yeah. And I would, I would, I like, I can take it, but that's not going to happen to my younger sibling. And so we have kids who will outcry because they want to save a sibling or save another child that they believe that is happening to sometimes because of how absolutely brutal child sexual abuse can be and what it does for a kid's psychological well-being, which is not good stuff. Now I may, as a victim, I may get jealous if I see the perpetrator giving somebody else or another child attention. And that sounds awful when people hear that, Yeah, but, but it happens that you have kids who now are jealous and which is then not their fault. It is is absolutely not their fault. Absolutely. That's a, that's a twist in the dynamic that, that yeah. most people probably never even really thought of. And that's what's so hard because they think, well, n- now I'm describing and or I'm seeing a victim who looks like the the, the, the proverbial other woman or the, the, the person yeah. is being cheated on. And right. so you see that, but it is absolutely not their fault in any way, shape or form. So you can see that in a purposeful disclosure. What we also can see, and this sometimes is very much y'all's world, we see accidental disclosures. With an accidental disclosure, uh, th- this is, for little kids, they sometimes maybe in bath time, maybe uh, a caregiver is giving them a bath and they say, oh, well, why don't you touch my no-no spot like cousin Jimmy does? And so they're not intending to actually outcry. They're right. just reporting something out. They're too little to really have that purposefulness. Hmm. Most often when we're talking about accidental disclosures, and this is certainly has ramped up over the last 20 years, is when something else is found. So a picture oh. or a video or a chat log or something like that. Yeah. And that's not a child who's actually making a disclosure or something. That's just somebody who found something and now is confronting that child or confronting the perpetrator potentially. And so those tend to be the two versions of how we see disclosures come about. So now we're really getting into the psychological section of this. Like think, I don't know. I try and tell when we talk to people about this because 
what I see when we talk to people about this thing that we investigate, which is terrible, but they kind of, ugh, they wince and they're like, ah, even cops are like, I don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And I, which I completely understand. I don't want to hear it. I mean, it's, we don't want to deal with it. We wish it would never happen. And then we didn't have to, but like the normal person doesn't want to hear it. They don't think about it being possible because they couldn't wrap their minds around it. So how do we now educate the, the listener to know that not, I mean, I think everyone knows like sexual abuse of child children, online sexual abuse happens, but they don't think it happens to the extent it does in the way it does. And like, they don't want to think like a kid would actually think, you know, I can't believe that person's getting that, like that, that twist in it that you just said, how do we, how do we talk to people about that? I think part of it goes back to we need to we need to quit being nice about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, when it comes to child abuse, we need to stop being so soft about how we're saying things and saying, right. "Well, maybe that was just an accident and he accidentally sexually abused this child or he accidentally clicked on this link that brought, you know, weirdly like 2000 images of child <laughs> porn onto his computer." Yeah, right. We have to quit being nice about things like that. And it doesn't mean that we can't have real conversations. But we have to lean into understanding this does happen. Right. We have it learned was intentional. It, it was it, it is intentional. There are people who are making decisions and and very active choices regarding the things that they're doing. Right. Yep. And I think that we're we're detracting from a lot of things, biggest of which is the safety of children. If we think, oh no, I just let's make this excuse for this person or let's yeah. let's say yeah. let, no, we, we can't do that anymore. All and right. I think that's probably the biggest thing that we need to do. If you really, really believe that it takes place, okay. Now let's get to the next <laughs> let's yeah. get to the next question beyond that. But you have to first recognize that it exists and that I think is a it's still a hard thing for people to yeah, understand. Yeah, a lot of people just you know, they know their own small little world, their own little bubble of influence, and the, and they've never seen or experienced anything like that. And so if something happens that disrupts that process, uh, or now it's thrust into their lives, I think their just initial default is to say, oh, no, that's Uncle yeah. so-and-so. He's just a funny guy, or right. he's just this. Or, or he's they just can't, that. they, like, the normal person, thankfully, is like, I would never. I could never do that. I could never sexually abuse a child. So in their Mm -hmm. minds, I can't do that. So that person can't do that either. Yes. And so now we have to justify or make an excuse for it, right? And a reasoning for it that is not sexual abuse. It was misunderstanding or whatever you fill in the blank. I mean, no, that's exactly what it is. It is easier for us to make an excuse for something versus saying, no, that happened. Right. And like he was, he was sexually attracted to the child. He is. There are people who are sexually attracted to children, and those people aren't always this creepy person in the trench coat. You know. Thank you for saying that. Thank you so much for saying that. Like I, you know, I I tell, you know, parents or groups, and I know Brandon and I have done the same thing, but I tell them, I'm like, we set our kids up for failure. We show them pictures of Freddy Krueger and the creepy looking weirdo and the guy on the corner who might just be homeless. And or this is how this person's going to come take you yes. and then sexually abuse you and then let you go. But then they're not. Yeah, they're, yeah. it's a failure. They're we set just, up we just to set not know up. that it's grandpa or uncle or it's brother somebody that you cousin. love. Someone it's somebody that you, know. that you like, that yeah. you child, that you will like and love this person. And right. they're going to betray your trust. You're exactly right. We are. Yeah. It's a complete disservice to our kids that we're not having these real conversations. And right. I think it it comes makes me think of a lot of different things, one of which is. When you're having safety discussions with your kids, you have to include people that are around them because to not do that, they're not going to be prepared to protect themselves. It's like saying that you're going to have a fire conversation, a fire safety conversation, but only about fires that ever happen at school because a fire could never happen at the house. That's ridiculous. (laughs) Where do most fires happen? And does anyone else think that stop, drop, and roll made me feel like I was going to be on fire a lot more? <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Apparently, all we were going to do is be on fire and be in tornadoes. I don't know but, if you guys and did quicksand. that. But, <laughs> but I was going to be rescued because I did have the oval fireman sticker on my window. And they knew. I, I gonna, and they knew. They would see it from now. I'm going you know, to take away. the blame for this little tangent. <laughs> I take you. the full blame. <laughs> that for is this totally one. you. That was on you. But yeah, we see like that failure is is built in because we're not having those conversations. And because I think that people don't want, it's almost a willful, willful ignorance. It is absolutely. And let me tell you why it also makes sense. This is where, again, we have to power through and stop being nice. 
again, we talked about this last episode, 90% of the time kids are sexually abused. They know their abuser. Yeah. Tarrant County specifically, our, our uh, number last year was 95% of the kids that were sexually abused sure. knew their offender. Wow. Now, here's where the responsibility lies on the caregiver, which is to say, and this is why it's so hard for us, is to say, I would let somebody in, I'm using air quotes, I would let somebody in who would sexually abuse my kiddo. That's not what we're saying parents are right. doing when you yeah. have that conversation with your child. You have to understand that these people are predators and right. they are not going to look creepy. They are going to be male and female. They're going to be adult and juvenile. They are going to be people in your family. They're going to be people that you've known for a million years. They're going to be people that you, the adult caregiver, you have sex with them, yet they're also having sex with your child. Right. And so to help the caregivers understand it's a hard conversation to have. It's a hard idea to think, yes, I have to believe that at some point, if somebody wants to sexually abuse my kid, you know, they have to get through first Yeah, me, and, but they will, and they will, <laughs> because and, and that's a whole topic of grooming that we're going to get to here pretty quickly. I, think. I know you guys are used to only me talking about <laughs> how grooming is a part of these cases, but I brought in someone else to talk about grooming. So you know that I'm not making this all up. Well, and let me tell you, this is where it goes from at least when I was growing up, which was a lot of those stranger danger conversations. And this is who is going to be the predator. And you're exactly right. right. Showing the scary pictures of this is what it is. Guess what? <laughs> the, the internet is now that. Yeah. So now the creepy, the quote unquote creepy guy in the trench coat is the second that your kid turns their phone on. Uh, it is there. He is there. She is there. They are there. And now I can be this, uh, this autonomous person who is sexually abusing children right. where we kind of got, had to get out of that with the idea of the stranger danger. You're going to get abducted. Nope. It's in your house. Now you're just, you're just getting it straight to your computer instead. Yeah. I, I, we often use the, and our listeners have heard me say this, like we use the, you know, that stranger in a van at the mm -hmm. end of the road is now coming into your child's room with mm -hmm. unrestricted access. Exactly. And yep. parents are letting that person come in unknowingly because they've given this device that's giving the door into the room. Exactly. Uh, I think about there some documentaries I uh, that where people thought, how could that have happened? I won't name the documentary, but how could that have happened? And it was because this person was like another father to that person. Mm -hmm. And so that's how it happens is trust and relationship built up. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about that process. You were talking about disclosure. Uh, I know that it's, there's rolling, there's accidental, there is the, the intentional disclosure. Um, I don't think that people think about like when some, when a child takes it back and says no, or t t when it, they say it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So recantation. Yeah. So the term is recantation and that is a known dynamic that can take place in child sexual abuse cases. Cause again, you have to think of the totality of what's going on. I've got a child who either accidentally or purposefully has made a disclosure and depending on lots of different circumstances, how is that now impacting this kiddo? Kids in a good way are egocentric. That's they, they should be developmentally, particularly when they're really young, they should be egocentric. It's all about me. It's all about me going to the playground. That's what it should be. Right. As they grow up, we teach them to think a little bit outside of beyond that. So now if I'm making an outcry of sexual abuse, again, from somebody I know and trust who now can't be around my family anymore, or maybe that person was somebody who was helping cover bills. And now I'm going to be, my mm -hmm. family's going to be evicted because of that. Right. Or now, although I don't want to see this person anymore, all of my siblings are super sad because they can't see this person. And now they're maybe actively blaming me or just really sad all the time. Or maybe I'm hearing my caregiver crying directly or indirectly talking on the phone about all the things that are going on. So there's all of these things that may impact this kiddo. One of the biggest ones that we know, and this is a great research project that was done, is that the impact or lack of belief of a maternal caregiver, particularly a mom, but a maternal caregiver is a huge predicating factor for a kiddo that may recant. We can talk about cases. We have very regular, what we call multidisciplinary team case review staffings, and we'll all come together, this huge multidisciplinary team that we've been talking about to come and talk about here are the circumstances of this case, what else needs to happen? What else can we do to be able to help support this family? And when we talk about those, when we talk through some of these dynamics, when there is a non-believing and non-supportive maternal caregiver, I literally say, guys, we need to keep an eye out because this is what's going to impact this child. And I will, right. I can 
I can write it down to say concerned about a recantation for these cases. And on occasion, then we'll have a child who may come back and say, no, 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 I just made this stuff up or no, 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 I didn't mean it. It didn't really happen like that. And there's a process, luckily. Our team has learned what we need to do, and there's a process for what that is. If there is a child who is recanting, I want a a forensic interviewer wants to get a chance to be able to talk to that kiddo again and find out what's going on. Maybe it's a true recant. Maybe it's not really a recant. Maybe we can understand there's more environmental factors that are impacting this kiddo and influencing them to take their case back. Maybe it's somebody who's saying, you better take it back, which we've seen that too. So, And I'm sure there are people out there that believe like, well... You know, I was on the fence. I didn't know if this happened. And then they said it didn't happen. So it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But you have to think about us as adults. Like we will say like, oh, I didn't mean to say what I said. Like we say things that it's like you meant it. It happened or you you were telling the truth. You just now you feel bad about the reaction and the impact of yeah. what you said. The Absolutely. consequences of mm-hmm. talking. And so if we do that, I mean, right, it makes sense, right? But, but, but let's have different expectations for a child who's yeah, saying this right. terrible or traumatic thing that's happened to them. We wonder how that, of course that may happen. And that's a good analogy to talk about adults do that. Why do we think that kids wouldn't do that? Yeah. And that, I think it goes back to that not wanting to believe and making that excuse for how this could never happen. Um, so why don't, why do kids not disclose or outcry? I think it goes back to all the things that we've been talking in this episode, as well as the last episode. If I'm, if I am a child growing up in the United States, I think there's probably other countries that this can apply to. I'm, I'm not a child from somewhere outside of this country. We don't talk a lot about sex, particularly openly. What we do is instead, and this is the adults again who are doing this, we teach kids all these cutesy names for body parts, you know, Petunia or Sheboing Boing or Kookaburra. I mean, very Tushy. short list of the very long list that we, we it's know in the field. It's an exhaustive list. Yeah. It's an exhaustive it list. Talk to your friendly forensic interviewer and they'll give you a list of words. But what we do is we teach these kids these cutesy terms for their body parts. And and, and it's never really made sense to me, particularly being in this field, as long as it really doesn't. Because if I'm trying to teach my child to be able to report something that's happening to their body, why am I using a cutesy term? And we don't use cutesy terms for, I'm pointing at my nose right now, we don't use a cutesy term for my nose. I don't use a cutesy term for my elbow. Why do I use cutesy terms for my vagina or my bottom or my penis? It doesn't make sense. So... In doing that, we have kids now who are using these QC terms. So let's say maybe I actually am trying to make an outcry, but I've been given these terms that nobody else understands. So this is the kid who goes up to their teacher in the classroom and they're in the middle of their first grade chaotic class in the times. Do you guys remember those times that kids went to school? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it was those times. And in this chaotic classroom, you have a kid. Back in our day. (laughs) (laughs) Back, Back in the day. That you have a kiddo who walks up to the teacher and says, daddy put his check in my pocketbook. And you're like, well, it's, you have a purse. That's great. Go, Johnny, stop eating glue. Susie, put the scissors down. You have a child who's out crying. They right. don't know that they've not been given the right words for that. Yeah. And so now in the dis- disclosure process, I've tried to and nothing happened. So now if I'm a kid, yeah. well, I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Yeah, I, I, guess. Had a, I had a case like that uh, early on when I came in uh, to the unit, you know, maybe 15 years ago. And, and, uh, the kid's word for his private parts, he used the word bird. And so he was making these statements about his bird. And like everybody didn't, nobody clued in, even when we went to the forensic interview back then uh, and, you know, going through the that process of identifying things and what words they use. And he said that, and then, uh, you know, everything starts flooding in. I'm like, how many different people told me about him and his bird? You know, and I'm like, wow, that's uh, that, that brings up a really good point. Well, that's hard when we don't do that because yeah. so now we've got we've got the language that's being used. Now we're going to layer on again what we've been talking about is that most time when kids are sexually abused, they're abused by somebody they know and trust. So it's somebody in um, sometimes a position of authority, but more so it's somebody who this kid loves. Or if the kid doesn't love them, my family loves them. Or it's the neighbor. Or it's the you know it's a it is my teacher. It's whomever this is that this is a well loved person. So now. I've got that dynamic. And now I'm going to now talk about something that has violated my body. And again, we've talked about the visceral reaction that adults have, even just thinking about child sexual abuse and how terrible that is. What do you mean somebody wants to do this to a child? So again, you have to go back to somebody has now done this to me. So I now have to fight to ensure that I have the right words 
fight that it's somebody that I know and trust and have a relationship with fight that this is a terrible violation. And was it wrong? Did I do something wrong? They said I did something wrong. They said I shouldn't tell that they're going to get in trouble because sometimes kids are told this, what's going to happen if I tell them I going to get in trouble. And so now you have kids fighting through all of that. Mm. And so when they find the bravery to yeah, be able right. to actually use their words and then the rest of this other stuff ensues, I'm not saying that it's, it is possible that kids make up allegations of child sexual abuse. It just doesn't happen that frequently. And people want right. to say it is tell me the benefit a kid gets yeah, right. from this. Like, no, there's just, gonna, that was going to be one of the things I asked in the myths and of this kind of stuff. But I don't, I've, I don't see kids are, telling lies about things that are going to get them in trouble. Like, I mean, they're, they're lying about something that it's self-preservation, right? They're lying about whether they broke the window or whether they wrecked the car or whether they ate the cookie whatever. before dinner yeah. or that yeah. tends something to that, be what it is. Yeah. But sexual abuse, there's no benefit to lying about that. And so do you see like in a forensic interview process, like that's designed to, to kind of, be transparent as far as what you see. So when a kid is, is it easy to tell if a child's lying? And if, if I, I know that I'm kind of asking a loaded question because I know the answer, but, but also what circumstances do you see like lying, coaching, those kind of things? Like, how does that translate? Well, very clearly any forensic interviewer will tell you, we can't tell you if a kid is telling the truth or telling a lie. That's not where we're not human lie detectors. What we do is explore information based on what that child is saying, or if there is auxiliary investigative information, i.e. some of the things that you guys deal with, chat logs, pictures, videos, etc. We can utilize that in the course of a forensic interview in a very smart, controlled way. But when we have a child who isn't for instance, providing sensory and peripheral details that we would have the expectation of a child that age to provide, that's going to, that's going to be concerning. That's going to be things that we're going to turn to our investigator and say, Hey, I'm a little concerned that the kiddo couldn't describe this, this or that. Or during the course of the interview, there were distinct things that do not make sense. I remember a case that I had with, with several kids that I had to talk to is a very complex case. And the stuff that the child, one of the kids was talking about, it just didn't make sense. And politely, I confronted that, that confusion of what that was, and there still wasn't clarity being provided. And so part of my obligation, again, if you're, people I think also have this myth that, that if we're working this, we're all colluding and working together and all kids are abused. And that's not what it is. Instead, if there's something that's concerning, I'm going to tell my investigator, I've got concerns regarding that. We all have very candid conversations. And so I did in that case. So concerns, in, meaning like you don't think concerns it, that this is, sense. this is a big thing that's not making sense. Okay, yeah. um, and that's, that goes into how we're, we're describing things regarding uh, what information is being provided during the course of a forensic interview. But then we have conversations to say, it just didn't make sense. I tried to follow the entire trail down to try to understand it. Cause sometimes kids just communicate differently, not their job to communicate at my right. level, my, my job to communicate at their level. But there are times that boy, that doesn't make sense when it comes to child sexual abuse. Again, not saying that they aren't, there aren't occasions in which maybe a child is making up something that did not happen. It just, it, it tends to be rare and we tend to see it pretty readily in the course of the investigation too, yeah. I think. So yeah, that think, gets us. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I think it, it ferrets its way up to the surface yeah. fairly quickly. Yes. Uh, when that's the case. Like when a kid has been told what to say, it kind of stands out. Yes. Or when they're, if they're making some part of it up, like that's, that's sort of, I mean, I, it's a terrible example, but when you see like a, a when a six year old's talking about sexual things, they shouldn't know. That's, that's a clue. Yes. Right. And when a 13 year old's talking about stuff in vague, terms that they should know even more that's a clue yes. so those are times where we're just clarifying Keep myths and truths let's talk about that i know there are myths about child sexual abuse and physical abuse as well um what are some of the common myths and then let's debunk those because and i know our listeners probably think these or have heard these or but the more facts that we can get out the better I think, I think we've really talked about one of the biggest ones, which is stranger danger. Stranger, stranger danger is still a thing. I, I do want to be clear regarding this. On occasion, we get a very legit stranger abduction scenario. Yeah. It is exceedingly, exceedingly rare. Yeah. Most often, kids know their offenders. Um, and, and even if they're, I remember a case that we had that, again, I always 
bring the internet crimes against children when you have hands-on offenders. I think it's always fascinating, but I remember a case in which a girl was being blackmailed by somebody on the internet to send nude pictures and videos of herself. And it was determined that it actually was her dad who was Whoa. doing that. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So how, how wow. the, these myths that are coming about, it's so much easier to think strangers are the people that are dangerous to me and my kids yeah. when that's not the case. So I think, I think that's a big one. Yeah. I think um, another one is it was just an accident. We yeah. hear that from the alleged perpetrators uh, frequently. Yeah, uh, I, a misunderstanding or I, I just, I just, I literally, I can't tell you how many I slipped and fell, and my hand fell in her vagina. Oh yeah, I, my my, I almost used the word favorite. Favorite's not the right word because it's disgusting and disturbing that we're even having the conversation. But the one that I remember the most is a guy. I'm interviewing him. Uh, the girl made an outcry to. Um, sexual contact, oral sexual contact. And his excuse was that he was going to retrieve the television remote off the back of the sofa and that he, it was late at night and he was wearing his, his loose boxers, like PJ boxers. And that when he leaned over, she was asleep on the sofa mm. and he leaned over to the back of the sofa to get the remote. Well, it just fell out of his loose boxers and it just happened to just, out. his penis fell out sure. and it just accidentally landed inside of the child's mouth and you know which of course sounds ridiculous but that is something we've been told that's exactly what he said he he couldn't uh add how he, there was other evidence yeah. that was remaining on the child at that point i've but, heard uh, i've heard jail calls where the offender's telling the victim what to do mm -hmm. what to say mm -hmm. and how to describe this and it gets asinine to the level of which they, they try and make up something. But yeah, like the excuses, is, do you think that's coming from that, that whole, like, I don't want to believe something happened, so I'm going to just justify it? Or is are they just believing what offenders are? What's the... I think it's a lot of different levels. I think one of them, again, goes back to we don't ever want to think somebody wants to have sex or do something sexual with a child. We mm -hmm. just don't want to believe that. I remember a study... They came out a while ago, talked about the number of offenders who were also sexually abused as children. So I think this folds yeah. into another myth that if you have somebody who sexually abuses a child, they also were abused as a child. Yeah. Um, that and can it's, happen. It's offered as, as, an ex, as a justification a lot. We Ex hear in yes. interviews, well, I was abused, so that's why I did this. Yes, that yeah. we hear that. Well, what the study did was look at a, a group of individuals who participated in the study, they were willing participants. They were convicted of a sexual crime against a child. They were already convicted of it. And so they, as part of the study asked them how many of y'all were sexually abused as children. And like eight, over 80% said, yep, we were sexually abused as children. Well, as part of the study is they actually had the people go on a polygraph and talk about, yes, I was sexually abused as a child. It was less than 25% that were actually sexually abused as children. So I think it goes back to the idea of this myth that I, as an offender, I, it's easier if I'm telling you, oh, well, this happened to me because now I get the, the pity vote. I give you a reason yeah. as to why I did this. Exactly. I don't yeah. know yeah. any better. And that's not what yeah. it is. We also have to understand the statistics around that because again, one in 10 kids are sexual, will be sexually abused before they're 18, one in 10 kids. Mm -hmm. So think of your average classroom of what that is and what that looks like. So if you're talking about that 80% of kids who are sexually abused, also abused, we're all screwed. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's why how wrong it yeah. is to think that, oh, well, everybody who's sexually abused then goes on to sexually abuse. Statistically that we, we genuinely would all be sexually abusing children now at that point, if that right. logic was sound, which yeah, it's not. It's not. Oh, what's the, let's talk about the G word grooming. I know I've, and I'm sure Tony, because <laughs> I, I say this every time, like we talk about grooming and I'm like, Oh, we got to talk because it happens right in every case we deal with. Yes. Like I know that we've hit this dead horse too many times, but I think that it's good for our listeners to hear your perspective of grooming and how that, is seen in cases, but specifically from a forensic interviewer process or from the advocacy side of things and, and what grooming things you're seeing and what are the myths behind and the truths around that whole topic? So grooming, I always describe grooming, the, the primary point of grooming is access and opportunity. But 
kids are kids are groomed, but before kids are groomed, adults are groomed. In order for me as a perpetrator to gain access to that child, I have to make sure that you feel like I'm trustworthy. Because again, if I am that super creepy person who you look at him and you're like, oh yeah, sure, I, I think you probably do sexually <laughs> yeah. abuse kids. We have some of those too, but you don't have that because if I look like that all the time, nobody's going to let me be around anybody. Right. So the first, the first people that I have to groom are the adults. Hands down, period, end of story. And that goes anywhere from your hands-on offenders who are in interfamilial, that goes to those that are sexually abusing children who are in positions of authority. Again, if I want to sexually abuse a child, I'm going to put myself in a position so I have more access to kids. Right. So I'm going to be a youth pastor. I may be a teacher. I could be a soccer coach. Or, uh, you talked about um, one of your cases, Tony, that he was a scout leader or something yeah. like that. And of course, I'm going to do that. I'm yeah. going to be this trustworthy person. I think the other side of that, when you're talking about grooming, is what happens with kids. And grooming, again, can happen on, particularly nowadays, multiple platforms. Right. Because whether it's me just having sexualized conversations with you, I can do that face-to-face, -face, or I can do that on the internet. Mm. And now I'm having these sexualized conversations, but maybe I'm doing it in the educational sense. Well, tell me about what things that you've done sexually. I'm just trying to help you and educate you and give you better expectations yeah. so you're you're treated better when you start dating when you grow up. We've been groomed that way. Yeah, we have. Yeah, the uh, listeners will know if they've listened to the you know, the professor's road trip, that uh, that's exactly the kind of guy he was. Mm -hmm. I had three of them he was just so teaching far me. that we've talked about. Like, they're, they're teaching. It's yeah. always the teaching perspective. And let me talk to you about it so that you can become comfortable with yourself. Mm -hmm. And so we get groomed very quickly online. Uh, but I think, so we talked about that in one other episode where the hands-on grooming is more of a process as far as like long-term because they're gaining access and trust. But online is taking a lot of those barriers barriers away, right? Like that's, it's instant. The, the in-person can be both. It can be uh, the, the quote unquote long game, or it also can be very short, which is the idea that, Hey, we're getting together for the family barbecue on Sunday and right. I'm going to now, Hey, I'll take care of the kids. Everybody else hanging out in the backyard. We're going to go play video games and I can do this in a day, right. yeah. but it's, it's all about the process. The online is, it, I agree. It is significantly faster and how they do it. I feel like this is, this is my question for you guys. I feel like some of them also may do it in a, in a shotgun approach, which is sex talk, sex talk, sex talk, sex talk with all of these people that I can chat with. And then who leaves, who gets scared off? Ah, you're the ones that don't get scared off. Right. Let's continue this conversation. I can ramp this up a little deeper yeah. into the conversation, a little more graphic mm -hmm. probably. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and then unfortunately those of us still standing are the ones that qualify as the victim. Right. Exactly. So yeah, that, that definitely. So that, that short term approach where you talked about like the video game, there's obviously more risk of getting caught for the offender, right? So, like, do you see... I I would just want to make clear for our listeners that grooming isn't step A, B, and C. Correct. It is all sorts of things that could be in any combination. And so you don't automatically get, well, I saw A, B, and C, so obviously this is grooming and that's sex abuse. No, it's... I, I wish it would... If it was that formulaic, yeah. wouldn't yeah. that be lovely for <laughs> us? Be, yeah, <laughs> Couldn't would, we really change things and maybe help kids not be abused? We could we market grooming that. glasses, you know, and like, dude... <laughs> You I can see, see what you're doing, I see sir. It. I see you're it. on step two. Hold up. Wait, that's you skipped be, step to gonna, four. That's going to be a t-shirt. So right. grooming, Tony's grooming, grooming glasses. glasses. <laughs> Where you came up with that one. <laughs> that's awesome. Genius. Genius. Well, I think the other part and what we see again, both in person, but I feel like we see a lot of this online when we're talking about kids who've been chatted up online is the emotional yeah. effect and the emotional impact and what the very purposely these offenders are doing in the, you're the most beautiful thing. You are so special. You should right. be treated like this. You're, you're much more mature than people think you are. It's they're, they're smooth, quote unquote, smooth talking. Yeah. They have um, answers to every question or every, they have a solution for every problem that that yep. kid has. They have everything nice to say. I mean, we could go on and on and on. We get yeah. groomed like this constantly as a boy profile, girl profile or whatever. It doesn't so make any difference. It's what makes Tony answer so adroitly oftentimes. <laughs> <laughs> that that was nice. Shot well placed, right? right that was, that <laughs> well, and I nice. think I think part of it, if 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 I would give a tip, and I know that you guys do this on a regular basis, this big a big conversation point I'm having in this world, and I don't, I'll be honest, I don't exactly know how to fix it, but we have got to somehow address 
self-esteem with our kids mm. because where yeah. I feel like I see a lot of kids, they will go to the internet to find the fulfillment of what they can't get other places. And so now I am, I'm at this vulnerable place for somebody saying you're the most beautiful thing. You're the most amazing thing. You're all, you're all of those things that and now I'm, I'm lapping it up as a kiddo. They're vulnerable because of that. Yeah. And so when they get somebody who and is, no, you send me a picture of your vagina. Knows they're, they're using that. Absolutely. They're very purposely yeah. using that. And yeah. so now when you have somebody that is, well, send me a picture of your vagina. You don't love me that I, I want kids to, I don't want you to don't cuss at adults, but tell the person to F off. Yeah. I have absolutely much more value than you trying to shame me into sending a picture of myself right. or a picture or a video of myself masturbating or whatever you're asking me. Yeah. The question should, I, that should never be the question. The, the right. response should be absolutely not. I'm worth more than that. And that's what, I don't know exactly how we need to change that for our kids, but that's yeah. what we need to work on. Nobody who really loves you is asking you to send stuff like that. Yeah. And you know, we've talked to schools and groups of kids, you know, we talk until the paint comes off the wall, you know, doing this on a monthly basis for groups. And we say these things over and over and over as well. But I mean, this, this time frame that we live in now where everything is immediate, everything is one click, one ding, one reply away. And so these kids are receiving this validation where, you know, maybe there's that child who's at school who is that awkward child. Maybe they just, you know, they're not the cheerleader. They're not the head football star. They're just the kind of awkward kid that kind of navigates through school. And so they don't get a lot of attention. And But online, they're getting as much attention as they want and they're getting all of it and it's validated immediately. Mm -hmm. And so that's, it's just a faster method of that grooming because of the vulnerability they have of being maybe meek or mild or or vanilla at mm -hmm. school and not the standout kid. It's not that the guy online or the gal online doesn't want that head cheerleader or that football star. Yeah. It's just, why run the risk? I can go for this kid with low self-esteem and succeed and probably become hands-on at some point versus I could try to go for the head cheerleader or the football guy, but chances are I'm going to get cold busted. It's well, not I, as easy pickings. Yeah. It's not. And I think that, that parent, we, that's, I think why we're so big on education mm -hmm. and that's the whole point of this and, and just wanting our listeners and trying to spread the word. We tell our listeners every time, like, Hey, tell a friend about us because we want more people to hear what we're talking about. So we can, like we say that, and now, you know, the ounce of cure or prevention is worth a pound of cure. We want parents talking to their kids yes. and, and not in a, this is dangerous. Don't, you know, the world is bad that's enough. Like sit down and really know your children in a way that you can talk to them and tell them like, Hey, you are worth more than this. Yeah. And yes. I think well, you have to be intentional about it. They have to lean in and just be intentional about it. That's what it's all about. But so, yeah. I, I, and again, it's, that's not easy. No. There's no easy fix. Otherwise we would have found it. I'm sure. <laughs> I wish. Well, one of the things you mentioned, I think it was either last week or towards the end of last week, or maybe the beginning of this mm -hmm. week. I don't know. My sometimes is just kicking in, but you talked about offenders and there was, you yeah. know, situational or preferential offenders. Can, can we jump into that a little bit and sort of kind of peel the layers of that onion a little bit so the listeners have an understanding of what those two characteristics mean? Absolutely. So when you're talking about a situational offender, you're talking about somebody who may still have sexual attraction to uh, an adult of, of whatever sex, whatever they're attracted to, uh, not in an unhealthy criminal way as their attraction is, could be for kids. But because of certain circumstances, they would still sexually abuse a child. So I'm getting a fight with my husband and I've uh, been drinking because of this. He goes off to work. I'm just still super mad at him, but I'm also aroused and there's my stepson laying on the couch. So, yep, I'm just going to go ahead and sexually abuse my stepson. That sounds again, like people probably listening yeah. are like, what do you what? mean? Nobody, yeah. you go? nobody can do that. <laughs> but yet we see that we see that. And again, it's the yeah. sense that I can still be sexually attracted in the scenario. I can still be sexually attracted to my husband, but also sexually abuse a child. Right now, when you switch that and you're talking about preferential offenders, that's when you're talking about your actual sexual preference. And that is, I mind you, I can pretend if I'm a sex offender uh, and I prefer to have sex with children, I can pretend to be in a relationship 
There's lots of ways right. people can do that nowadays. But when you're talking about a preferential offender, this is always what I say when I train. Think so every all listeners think of what you are sexually attracted to. I will share what I am sexually attracted to. I am sexually attracted to adult men who want to have sex with me. That sounds like an odd caveat, but that's a real <laughs> thing because there's people out here who want to have sex with people who don't want to have sex with them. Right. I I'm sexually attracted to adult male. We call men. that a crime, by the way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I try. I try to avoid that. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm sexually attracted to. Now, if tomorrow we woke up and it is now against the law to be sexually attracted to adult men who want to have sex with you, well, I'm not going to suddenly not be attracted to that. That's right. who I'm sexually attracted to. And so you're talking about preferential offenders that this is who their their sexual proclivity is. Children. Right. That's that's the core. Well, difference. for the listeners and and not just listeners, for anybody in the law enforcement arena that that is around this or or works the street and and even has a concept, even that concept, someone that has a preference to have sex with a child is not a normal thought process for the overwhelming majority of society. And so I think that's one of the first hurdles is where when we say those things, which is, I'm glad you used in your example of, uh, you know, the argument with the husband, drinking happens and the abuse happens from the woman's perspective to a child because it happens. And we know that happens, even though everybody in the car is like, what? Like you <laughs> female know. offenders. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, but because most people, their immediate idea is that, Oh, it's a man on a kid. You know, it's a, it's a male oriented, offense but again in regards to someone like us whose normal thinking mind it doesn't equate if you said oh oh look at that five-year-old at the playground over there wow i'd like to have a sexual relationship with that kid like what like nobody <laughs> what can hell? yeah what the hell it just doesn't equate. So I don't know how you get people over that initial hurdle because the shock and awe of just hearing that what people have a preference for kids. Well, and that's why I always talk about think of your own sexual attraction because that's what it is right. in those circumstances. It, that is what it is. And right. that's how as strange as it sounds. Do you accept your own sexual attraction of whatever that is for right. you? Well, this is another option. That's yeah. what it is. I, I've had those awkward conversations with the um, spouses sometimes of offenders or people that I've arrested where they're trying to process it. And, and I put it in a term of like, well, what, what flips your switch? Right. Like, what is it that flips your switch? Because this is what flips his switch. Exactly. You know, he may have been living the last decade with you, you know, in a sexual occasionally relationship, but if you really wanted to flip his switch, this is what you would have to do. And, and so I think it's a whole evolution of, of, people getting that understanding to be able to think I wasn't enough or I caught, you know, then it brings on all these other emotional side of like, Oh, I, so it's now my, I'm to blame. And you know, it's not this uh, cycle of, a, of blame. It's trying to understand. But now this, the, the preferential offender that obviously a sexual interest in children, the situational offender that doesn't make that, accidental no. you know so that's right that's a caveat right like we're not it wasn't like well i'm a situational offender so this was not intentional and we can just justify it they 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 still abused a child absolutely yes yeah. there is still intention thank you for saying that because there still is intention regarding that it's just right. again where your sexual actual sexual attraction is solely kids yeah. that's a preferential offender or a pedophile right. but you can have situational offenders that I'm sorry, it is still very intentional. Again, yeah. I didn't, didn't fall. Yeah. I didn't, so it's didn't not, reach to get the remote and my penis fell off. Yeah, I right. mean, maybe not only sexually attracted to children, but also, also yeah. So, yes. so like, I don't, I think sometimes, cause I, I hear it. People think, Oh, well they don't normally like this. So it was not an intentional and it was accidental. So they're less dangerous versus like, no, that they're equally as dangerous. They're just and, as. Yeah. And that's the, to me, there's the transition of where does this all go to? And in the end of it, we all hope we're in court where we can uh, lay out the facts of the case uh, presented to us. And so this. Because Lindsay is an expert in court. Uh, has this 
most you know people in this field become experts because they deal with this. So let's talk about your expertise in court and testifying, but also how we see that play out when you're talking about, a ch- first of all, a child having to testify, or when you're talking to a jury or even a judge, like how are you educating that that whole process of, of testifying as an expert? I'm really having, I say conversations. You, you don't have conversations in court. You're asked questions <laughs> and you have responses. And, and that's what I do. I feel like it's very aligned to what we've been talking about over these right. last two episodes. It's 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 the information. And I feel my role is if I'm testifying and I, for instance, have done a forensic interview with that child again in the room, I am a neutral party now outside of it. Mind you, I, I would like to think that for all adults that I, I do advocate for children. Absolutely. That's the thing that defense attorneys try to say, well, but you're an advocate for children. And I say, well, I hope everybody is because (laughs) I do. However, I think the other thing is, is that child sexual abuse is complex period, end of story. It is so complex. And so for anybody who is the decision maker in court, whether that is a jury or a judge, I just want to ensure that they have the best information to be able to make a decision. And so that's what I do. I go and I talk about these dynamics or the process of disclosure or question typology and how kids can describe things. So it's just providing that information. So hopefully they can make the the best decision. Cause we've told our listeners, you're juries, you guys are future juries yeah. uh, or you're the average person who is, who is out there, who has, you know, the ability to vote and to go serve on a jury and talk to, you know, people who make change and to educate your children. And so that's important for us to educate a juror the same way or a judge same way we would want to educate a parent, right? Like we're wanting them to know we don't want a jury to believe that children lie about sexual abuse and that accidental sexual abuse occurs all the time. And that if a kid, you know, doesn't tell mom, then it didn't happen. We want those things to know. Well, again, we have to have, we have to have real conversations because that's how change happens. When you're talking about the use of seatbelts, you know, seatbelts weren't used in the 1950s and eventually we kind of got smart and now we can't imagine a car being built without it. Well, that wasn't because somebody in the, you know, the vinyl factory was like, Hey, we have these strips of stuff. Can we just put them somewhere? It's, it was about safety. And now after we put them in, of course, everybody's like, well, I grew up and I didn't have a seatbelt. Why do I need to do it? And eventually over time, we became more educated. We right. educated each other. And now we understand it's critically important for safety. So that's when we're talking about child sexual abuse. That's what we have to keep having these conversations with everybody. Because yeah. the more we have these conversations, yeah. the better we're going to do things. The better we're going to create laws. The better we're going to keep our kids safe. The better we're, the better all of the things that we want to make sure that we're doing. Yeah. I think that is a good stopping point for today. We've got one more episode, fun-filled episode with Lindsay Dula extraordinaire. I think that's what I called you the first time. Let's, uh, but we're going to talk more about child exploitation next time and how it relates to what we've been discussing already. And then, um, some, some things that we find, you know, that we think might be controversial. So we'll talk about that next time. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. 